Buying a short-term rental is buying a business. How do you analyze a business? You look at projected revenues, you look at historic revenues, but historic revenues are only as good as the person running the business. And that's, I guess, let me back all the way up and say the number one mistake I see people make when they're looking at short-term rentals is they want to base everything on the historic income of the previous owner. And management is 90% of how well a short-term rental is going to do. Now you want to look at market-wide data, like AirDNA will tell you this is what the average two-bedroom did in your market. It doesn't mean you're going to be able to do that, or it doesn't mean you're going to only do that. You might do way better. If you run it and manage it right, that's where the difference is going to come in. So number one mistake ultimately is ignore historic revenue. It doesn't matter. They're not going to be running the place anymore. I took my very first short-term rental. I bought it and it was with a local property management company, a big property management company with hundreds and hundreds of rentals. And the best year they ever had was $27,000 in revenue. I bought that thing and in my first months I did $54,000. So the question is this, how do most agents succeed in today's competitive real estate market when all the successful agents are keeping the secrets to themselves? So that's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. I interview agents from all over the world, I ask them their tactics, and they share all of their secrets with me so we can give them to the world. I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real estate rock stars, welcome back. This is Aaron Muchastegi. I get to interview a friend of mine today. The I got to see him a couple times recently. We've traveled all over the world together a little bit. Originally met in GoBundance. I get to interview Derek Tellier. He's with the Short Term Shop. We're going to talk a lot about that in a second. The, and we ha we're interviewing Derek's dog today as well, the, who, just, who just joined the call. And let's see if I get this right. From Sevierville, Tennessee. Sevierville. Severeville, Tennessee, yeah. the Smoky Mountains. The, the I had never when he told me the city name, I was thinking, I don't know that city name. But but we're here. Derek, how's it going, man? Super fantastic, man. And everybody knows Severeville. They just call it Pigeon Forge in Gatlinburg. It's the same thing. Gatlinburg sounds together. familiar. I remember I know yeah. that. I've heard that before. Number one most visited national park in the country by at least a two to one margin for decades and decades. It's like a best unkept secret. Used how long to be really good on kept secret. How long have you lived out there? I've been out in East Tennessee for about 20 years. Uh, was in Middle Tennessee around Nashville for uh, back in the late 90s, early 2000s for a little while. Came out to East Tennessee in 04. Pretty much been in this area for the most part ever since. How has it changed since 04? The vacation market wise, uh, it's always been a vacation market. So it's, it's, but it's grown. I mean, like a lot of places, uh, Austin is the same, right? I know you, you've seen it. And I know a lot of people, you know, the growth in Austin over the last 20 years has been insane. The growth in East Tennessee in the Smokies, just south of Knoxville for people who are really just not sure. We're on the east side of the state. It's been a lot of growth, but we're right up against the national park. So everything growth around here has been, uh, you know, vacation destination attractions and things like that. They're actually about to build the uh, largest Bucky's ever right at our interstate exit, which uh, if from Texas, everybody knows Bucky's. Everybody knows Bucky's, the, but they're going to have the largest one ever not in Texas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like it, sacrilegious. I had, I had never heard of Bucky's until they started building this thing out here because I live in my own little bubble here. But uh, but I, from what I understand, every new Bucky's is the largest Bucky's. But yeah, okay. it's going to be insane. 
They got to have like go-kart track and all kinds of stuff there from what I hear. That's fair. So for anyone that's like just not from Texas and or hasn't been here, Bucky's is like a mixture between like a gas station and a Walmart. And well, and now they're adding like entertainment and go-kart tracks. So you go inside and like restaurants, you go inside and there's like a full section of like groceries and food, but there's like Bucky's, which is, you know, the, uh, you know, like giant memorabilia and stuffed animals and clothes. Um, Plus they, you know, all sorts of like Texas barbecue, you know, great food. And then, so people just stop there and there's a thousand gas pumps out front. Like you'll yeah. never have to wait for a gas pump. And then in Texas too, they started adding Tesla chargers at all of them. Yeah. So it's a hence cult. like, it's, a, it's crazy. It's a cult from what I've seen. It's a, it's a bit of a cult. Like my kids love getting Bucky shirts and stuff like <laughs> that. When I, when new people come to town, I show it to them. They think it's. So well, and adding in the entertainment, anytime there's a, there's a Tesla charging station, it's great when you can add in something to like kill time for an extra. Yeah. It's like a truck stop, a gas station, a Walmart and a Texas restaurant all mixed into one. And now a go-kart center, fun stuff, man. When did you get into real estate? Uh, you know, officially got into real estate. I, I guess I got introduced to real estate around 2017 or 18, uh, Bigger Pockets was a friend of mine turned me on to Bigger Pockets and told me to listen to Rich Dad Poor Dad because everybody has to listen to that uh, at some point in their real estate journey. I got my license in 2018, uh, October of 2018. Started kind of trying to document it. There's some old Facebook videos out there that were just absolutely terrible of me trying to document my journey. Thought I was going to be an influencer and. Um, did that, uh, got my license and stayed. At, I had a W-2 job, stayed in my W-2 job. Uh, first 18 months, I had my license. I did four transactions. Two of those were for properties I bought for myself. One, uh, my first true investment property, which was a Burr. And then the second one was a primary residence, which allowed me to convert my previous primary residence into a rental. And then I joined the short-term shop, which uh, if, you know, Avery has Avery Carl is a uh, runs the short term shop. I know she's been a guest on on your show and about every other podcast out there in the world. Um, joined her team kind of early on, about six months into her joining, into her starting the team. And I went from doing like no transactions to I did 40 transactions in 2020 uh, with her, left my W2 job. I did 130 transactions in 2021 with the team and I did around 45 or 50 last year uh with the team so what are you gonna do this year uh i'm projecting i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm shooting to do 40 to 50. um i'm, I'm intentionally that 130 in 2021 was too many um i was that was a lot of stress that was not sustainable for 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 one agent on a team to do that many i had like two nervous breakdowns i lost it but uh but it was good time and uh it was a good way to make a lot of money in a short period of time so getting back to that 40 50 range i think is pretty nice Actually, last year, I lived in my RV down near Gulf Shores, Alabama, um, to kind of help the team down there, which was where, was where a multi-state team got my license in Alabama. I only did five transactions in Alabama, and I still closed another 40 up here in Tennessee while I was living in Alabama. So kind of showed me what I could do. Uh, but I want to get I want to get to the point. Uh, I'm a year or two away from not selling at all. My investments will pay for my lifestyle. And when you're a real estate agent, you're always on call. And uh, I do that. It, it is the goal of mine to get to the point where I'm not having to do that anymore. Cool. So your journey. So, so far you've done, you know, you've sold a couple hundred houses, right? If I did the math, right, you've yeah. got 40, then 140, and then you're going to do 40 or 50, a couple years in a row, yeah. maybe 300 houses. Uh, but your goal is to maybe only do a hundred more. 
yeah. and then from there be able to turn it into this what you said investment property type stuff instead so right now for your are you doing mostly buyers agents mostly listing agents and what sort of transaction is your niche where are you getting your leads from it's mostly buyers agents uh, i've had uh, a fair share of listings over the last I don't know, we'll call it 12 months from clients, you know, clients who I sold to a couple of years ago, uh, working with the short-term shop. All my leads come from the short-term shop or 99% of them do. And our niche is short-term rentals. That is all we do. Uh, we are a national team across the whole country. I think we're in 16, 17 different states now. Uh, so all I do is short-term rentals. Avery's got a book on short-term rentals. She's all over bigger pockets. If you're Googling short-term rentals, you are coming across Avery Carl in the short-term shop. So I do not have to work to get leads. They they get handed to me on a regular basis. Naturally slowed down a little bit now, but uh, that's okay because I don't I don't need that many now. So it all comes from there and it's very, very, very niche. I mean, somebody came to me and wanted to buy a primary home right here in the same town I live in, I would refer them to another agent. It's not, it's not what I do. So so what is the secret of success? to be a short-term, I guess, to be a short-term investor first, like what's your, what was your first short-term investment like and what did you learn from it? And what are like the secrets you would say now to succeed in that industry? Uh, most important thing to understand about short-term rentals is uh, they are not in any way, shape or form passive. What you are, when you get into short-term rentals, you're buying a business. It's very, very, very active. The returns are significantly better than a lot of other investment property opportunities out there, but they are a customer service and hospitality industry first and foremost. So the, the secret sauce is you need to be very good at customer service. You need to be responsive. You need, when your guest sends a message, you need to be on top of it. You need to send them a reply as quickly as possible. You need it to be, you know, always accept response. Well, to a point, accept responsibility, always just be catering to the guests to do the best you can within reason. There's, there's extremes to that. But um, it, my first investment, I, I bought it right about the same time I joined the team at the beginning of 2020. And um, I got involved. I did a lot of uh, dirty work myself. I got my hands dirty, um, got in the middle of it, managed it 100% myself. And I think that's the secret to short-term rentals as you get started is do it yourself, get very involved and put the time into it. And you will, you know, if you, if you follow the short-term shop offers education for free, you buy with us, we help teach you. We have a great, huge community that we're helping put all these, you know, owners together, um, short-term shoppers, as we call them all, uh, short-term rental owners in our markets together and sharing information with each other. So you get just hundreds and thousands or thousands of people that you get to feed off of. Now, when you're, you're talking about wanting to get out of production and just work with your investments. Are they short-term rental investments to where yeah. you just said like short-term is also a full-time job. It's not passive. So you're kind of, are you going to be trading one job yeah. for another kind of? Kind of, sort of. Yeah. So when I first got into it, my goal, my plan, my vision originally was to buy a bunch of short-term rentals, uh, turn that into a bunch of cash flow, let the market appreciate, and then start selling off those short-term rentals for nice profits that I would then convert into syndications, true passive investments. That was the original goal. As I started to grow my portfolio, which is now at, I have 12 active short-term rentals, one more about to come online and a couple of long-term rentals. And when I started to grow that, I started bringing other people in. Um, I have one full-time employee, that's my daughter. She started working for me at the beginning of 2021, originally as my assistant on the real estate side, the agent side, because I did 130 transactions, I needed help. 
And as we grew that year, she got more interested in the short-term rentals. So she runs a lot of the day-to-day operations, guest responses. Like right now, I don't have to worry about if a guest sends a message and the house is on fire. I don't know about it. My daughter handles it. So I have an employee in that. And I recently, about six months ago now, hired a VA. So I have a VA that helps with guest communication during the evenings on weekends, which gives my daughter, Sarah, and I both time off where we don't have to necessarily pay attention. The VA can reach out to us if there's something she doesn't know how to answer. So what it developed into is now instead of planning to sell off all my properties, I'm building kind of a personal property management company. I don't have intentions to manage properties for other people. Maybe that comes into play a little bit, but really I'm building a property management company that my daughter can run that will allow me to be like 1% active. She's handling 99% of the activities and I'm hand, and I'm getting all the cash flow from the properties. I'm paying her a salary, eventually giving her a cut. She's young, so it, in, in time, she'll eventually take over more and more of it. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Buchastegui, and I'm interrupting myself to bring you this commercial break from one of our sponsors. There's somebody I've been looking at for a long time, and when they reached out to me, I said, yes, we have to be able to do this deal. So that sponsor is Follow Up Boss. There's a lot of superstars out there that use Follow Up Boss. What's your favorite CRM? We're using Follow Up Boss. So we use Follow Up Boss. So we use Follow Up Boss. I love Follow Up Boss. I love it. We have action plans now for bringing on new agents. We have action plans for our recruiting. Uh, we call them action plans and Follow Up Boss, which will trigger tasks for the agents to do as far as calling. Follow Boss, I like more for the integrations with everything, MailChimp, Call Action, all those different products. I will say we used Sync and we switched from Sync to Follow Boss. Honestly, the greatest CRM I've ever used, I've used Brivity Sync. I've looked at Boomtown like real geeks, just a bunch of different ones. But me personally, I fell in love with Fub about like seven months ago when I first started using it. I've used Boomtown, I've used Line Desk, I've used Conversion, and I think Follow Boss gives you the most integrations. Mm-hmm. that are simple and it gives you the best ability to go and integrate large things into one single solitary platform yet at the same time it's still affordable i do like follow-up box better just because it you can text from the app and things like that it's just a little more convenient for me um it tracks everything that i need i can customize it if i want if i want to go smart list based that's fine if i want to go task based it's fine i think it's one of the best systems and it's very user-friendly it's just really helps me never drop a ball because it's so user-friendly. I don't have a one horse in the race with Follow Up Boss. Purely objective, Follow Up Boss has been the best one that we've found. Now, I've used Follow Up Boss. We've actually used it in our non-real estate businesses as well because it's so good at being able to set timers, set automatic texting and emailing. So here's what we got. For Real Estate Rockstars listeners, you get a 30-day free trial. That's normally 14 days. So in order to get this, you go followupboss.com, just like it sounds, forward slash rockstars. Go there, get your 30-day free trial, and check it out, especially if you aren't using any systems or any CRMs yet. This will be a great one for you to start with. Thanks again. Now back to our show. Yeah, so it's like, so at the beginning short-term rental investing is not passive. It's very active. If you're doing one or two houses, eventually it can become like a hotel owner 
a hotel owner isn't there doing the customer service. It's a business. Somebody else is yeah. doing it for them. So for a hotel owner, it's passive. For someone working at the hotel, it's not. I've had three different uh, types of short-term rental properties. And I had, I had one for a while in Southern Oregon on a golf course community, which was very driven by weather and travel and vacation time. So it was seasonal. It's so like during the summer, it would be booked the whole time. You know, during Thanksgiving and Christmas, it would be booked. And then there were these real slow months from like January to March or I probably like January to May where it was like, you kind of get lucky if you had like one person a weekend, unless you were really active at like yeah. adjusting prices and like negotiating back and forth with people. So that was my first type. And that one was, I think like a, you know, the cost of a hotel, maybe a two fifty a night, 250 bucks a night type thing. And then I, I had one that was my, uh, a giant personal residence in California. We called it our, our compound. It had 10 acres and fishing ponds and tennis courts and basketball courts and like a 2000 square foot putting green. It was a pool, amazing property. And we had 26 beds in there. And so wow. you could have we had pe people do a bunch of company retreats there. And so that was the yeah. first kind of clientele, which you know, a couple times a month, a company would do a company retreat, a four day minimum. They would pay between 1500 and $2,000 a night. It was this really high end deal, um, but didn't stay very, it wasn't super consistent. But it was such a high dollar price point that when it happened, you know, one person yeah. a month would cover the mortgage, two people a month would cover all the overhead, two with it. When COVID hit, that thing stayed booked like every day because sure. and that and it transitioned from people wanting to do company retreats to people from San Francisco saying all the hotels are closed. We want to go somewhere with our friends. We'll go there. So totally changed. And then I have another one that's a it's a short term rental, but it's a long term rental. It's in a, a city called Fayetteville, Arkansas, and it's minimum 30-day stays. Now, it's at a yeah. super discounted rate. It's right next to a, a specialized hospital, and so the goal is that people from that hospital stay there in these minimum 30-day stays. I think my first person stayed there for, for two months. Um, my daughter and my wife stayed there, when we, and, and, or I stayed there when uh, Maddie first got sick, and right now we have somebody there that they're contracted to be there till September or October. So there's three different types of short-term rentals there, right? Like, so my first one's a vacation market yeah. and there were pros and cons of that. There was one other one that was like a luxury kind of unique property um, that, you know, that people do as like a, for all sorts of different reasons, or there's like the, the minimum 30 days short-term stay that are kind of like more practical. It's like, no, people need a executive type housing, I guess I would call that. Right. Um, yeah. That's kind of that, that medium or midterm rental kind of a, newer thing it's really been going on forever but it's month to month leases traveling nurses yeah uh, traveling nurses so is yeah. there so is there another type um as so i i feel like i've so i've done one of of each of those is there another type out there um or are there several other types out there and then which ones do you focus on yeah i think you could put i think you could create a whole lot of different uh versions of that you know like in an inner city like austin where i know where you have to worry about more about regulations but there's pockets where people are traveling there maybe not a true vacation but people go there for business where they're there for a few days what i do and what we do is vacation markets so we are you know the smoky mountains are a vacation market the smoke the great smoky mountain national park is the most visited national park in this country by a huge margin. So everybody that comes here is a tourist. They're, they're here for the weekend, they're here for a week. Everybody's transient, it's, that's what the entire market's built on. Um, there's a lot of markets like this across the country, Branson, Missouri, you know, any of the beach markets across the Emerald Coast of Florida or, you know, Crystal Beach, Galveston, Texas, you know, outside of Houston, 
uh, I, the, the hill country of right outside of Austin. We have agents in, in all of those markets. The beach markets are kind of similar to what you talked about with your golf course. So they're very seasonal, but they do insane numbers in the summer. So your, your income is this nice big bell curve, you know, and it's really slow in the off season and you get to make a ton of money in the middle of the summer. The place like the Smokies, we have very consistent income. There are absolute peaks uh, through the summer is always a peak because people are on vacation uh, from school and whatnot. And then in the winter, we actually do very well here because of the leaves, leaf change season, the colors, the mountains are just absolutely gorgeous. So October and then November and December with the holidays, our holidays are huge. Some of our most profitable weeks are Christmas, New Year's or Thanksgiving. People pay insane money to come and stay here. Um, so we we specialize in vacation markets. That is the short term shops, you know, MO. And that's all I do, really. Uh, even even doing Gulf Shores, beach market, a little bit different. But I love this. I love the consistency of the Smokies. We stay your smaller cabins, your one, two bedrooms. You're talking 80 to 90 percent occupancy over the course of the whole year. You mean, and, and most of the occupancy is just random nights here and there. January and February naturally are your slower months. But if you've got a one bedroom or two bedroom, people are still coming up here. They're still filling your weekends. You can still stay very well booked through the summer months. It's it's almost easy. And I've got everything from five bedroom down to one bedroom. I do have one on the beach. I mentioned Crystal Beach, Texas. I have one down there. The rest of them are all here in the Smokies. And um, the one I'm remodeling right now is going to be the biggest one I have here in the Smokies. It's a five bedroom five bath. It's going to have five master suites in it, plus two half bathrooms. So that's something a little bit different that you don't see around here where I'm really catering to groups of adults, five couples who want to come and everybody's going to have their own bathroom, nice big kitchen, nice big living area, outdoor fire pit, really catering to a little bit nicer uh, you know, clientele than, than just the small family that's coming in. So if somebody wants to start doing short-term rentals in a vacation market, right? what sort of tips would you... What sort of tips would you give them about how, like, like how to like stand apart or be different? I've stayed at a lot of short-term rentals, right? Part of having a family and lots of kids is it's usually much easier than staying at a hotel. And yep. I've seen so many different versions of electronic check-ins, of in-person check-ins, of gift bags and gift baskets and like lists of yeah. ways to like you know, I had one where I, we were going to, and it was like here, if you want to schedule like a mobile masseuse to come or a caterer yeah. or a cook, like here's your list of things. Do you guys do anything like that? What do you recommend with people as they're getting started in those markets? So first thing I'll say is the best recommendation I can give is go to shorttermshop.com because we are, we do have a lot of resources on there and our Facebook group is a huge community of people sharing. Um, I think it's going to vary on your market. It really depends on, on who the guest is that you're, that's attracted to your market. You know, the Smokies are more of a blue collar thing. So we don't need the chefs and the masseuse. We don't need the higher end stuff. Um, the house I'm sitting in right now, I bought last year with the intent to turn it into a short-term rental. This one's going to be a little bit different. I'm going to do a fitness center in the garage where I'm going to have a sauna and I'm going to have, you know, some, some lifting machines and a Peloton and some, some nicer stuff. So that's going to be a little bit unique. Kind of yeah. stole a little bit of the ideas from you, um, yeah. from what you've got in your house. Um, but I think most of the people coming here are just looking for the basics. You know, in this in this market, it's hot tubs. Everything has to have a hot tub, or at least ninety percent of them have hot tubs. It's just the standard. You know, you go to a, you know, we're in Arizona, and and there it might be a little bit different. So maybe a little bit more luxury. Um, you know, we both know guys who are investing out in those markets, and and they're doing something a little bit different. So one, 
Decide what you kind of like. Are you looking for that blue collar family vacation market, the honeymooner? Are you looking for that corporate high end client? All that's going to based on how much money you want to spend. As far as how you manage it, you cater it to that. So if 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 that's what's coming, then that's what you're going to focus on. So there's a, there's more than one way to do it. it. There's just no there's no right or wrong answer to it. I think, you know, co- the basic concept of good customer service, provide them a nice, safe, clean place to come to make it as easy as possible on the guest. This is nothing new. This is sales 101. The easier it is for the guest, the better experience they're going to have, the better reviews you're going to get, the more guests you're going to get, the higher you can raise your prices. It's a it's a constant cycle. Take care of them. Good, accurate pictures provide good information, you know, uh, referrals or references to recommendations to restaurants, to other things to do in the area. You know, you'd like to think if they chose to vacation in your market, they know what's here. But nevertheless, you still want to point out some of the most obvious things and then always include some under the radar stuff, the restaurant that not everybody goes to that you can recommend. You know, one, you're helping your local businesses, but you're giving them something a little bit different. And then it's just communication. Uh, I have got guests that I've had zero communication with. They book, they come, they stay. I have automated messages that go out. You definitely want to do that. It takes workload off of you. And I never have any communication with them. They leave five-star review. They're happy. I have other guests that I might have to send four or five messages to. They send questions about everything. You have to communicate back and forth. Simple stuff that you wonder how these people get up in the morning and tie their shoes. But they, but they ask the questions and it's really easy to get frustrated and you just have to kind of go, okay, yes, look at your bank account. How much money are they paying you to stay there? Cater to them a little bit. Most of them aren't like that. So when they are, give them a little bit. They'll be happy. They'll give you a five-star review. You raise your rates. You keep keep the cycle rolling. Hey guys, a quick commercial break here, but don't worry. This one is only going to run for the next two or three episodes. I talk so much about the mastermind. It's one of my passions, getting everybody to come hang out in Austin where I get to meet you guys. Well, we just had it you know, a few weeks ago and we decided for next year we were gonna do pre-sales. We're only selling 70 tickets total for the whole country and that way we keep it nice and small where everybody meets everybody and the end of it, it's like a big giant family. Well, we put out the pre-sales last week and in the during the pre-sales we sold more than 60 tickets. So there's less than 10 spots left. 10 spots left if you wanna join us for the mastermind for next year. We're putting the date so far out there, you've got no excuses um, to be able to know that the date works. You can put it in your calendar now. And we also set up a payment plan for people to break it up into four easy payments. So if you're one of those people that have thought about going to the mastermind, have never pulled the trigger, now's the time. And it's for it's for March for next year. But you gotta go sign up now if you want that spot. I don't like selling, I don't like advertising. So we figured we would knock it out quickly. We'd knock it out you know, this first couple weeks in April for next year. So instead of working on that, we're going to focus on value. If you do join the mastermind, you get to be a uh, join part of our private Facebook group where we do monthly Zoom calls, where we do tactics on those calls. They're really small. There's like, you know, between 10 and 20 people on those. So you get to ask lots of questions and learn from experts. So if you are interested in signing up, go to realestaterockstarsnetwork.com forward slash mastermind real estate rockstars network.com forward slash mastermind go lock in your ticket we have less than 10 spots left you can break it up into four payments so that way it is much easier to to be sure to join and i promise you it is the least expensive mastermind out there for the type of stuff that we're doing you know the go abundance masterminds that i talk about that i'm a part of cost five times what we do for this and i try to deliver twice as much value all right back to the podcast yeah there was one of the things that kind of burnt me out from it was the idea that, you know, cause I, cause I have a bunch of rentals 
And if somebody calls on a Friday in my normal rental because their air conditioner goes out, we can say, great, we're going to call the AC person. And if the AC person says they're booked until Monday or Tuesday on a normal rental, that's normal. That's like par for the course. That's allowed in the lease. It's they can be frustrated, but it's, but really it's there. But if it happens on a short, on a short-term rental and the AC goes out on a Friday you better believe that you need to find somebody to like be fixing that air conditioner like that night. Right. It's like a different level. You can't ignore the call. You can't say, sorry about that. We've got someone scheduled. And so it was when the issues would come up, it was a lot more, um, when issues did arrive, they were a lot more immediate. Um, yeah. Of, of like having to deal with this, but it was, it was a fun business to get into for a while. Um, you know, doing the hospitality stuff, especially when we did our, our really expensive high end one, yeah, we had a full-time guy that was doing, because it was 10 right. acres, it was always there doing landscaping. So he would like, go get the people tinfoil if it was forgotten. Like, or, or, yeah. or, oh, you guys don't, do you have a blender? Oh, we'll go, your blender broke. Oh, we'll go get you a new one. Or fishing poles. Oh, you forgot fishing poles. We can get you fishing poles for the kids. Like all, all sorts sure. of things. So it was fun, but it was a lot of work. Now, if somebody out there is analyzing a short-term rental, right? They're in a market where you guys aren't. They're thinking about going, you buy one right now. And you know, so like, or an agent trying to help someone underwrite it. So we're looking at, it's easy to underwrite a rental in the sense that you say, here's the purchase price and you can build up a spreadsheet and say, well, in a rental, you're going to have monthly insurance, monthly property taxes. Here's your rent you're going to make. You know, you should assume, you know, 90% occupancy and 90% collections and, and let's say $2,000 a year in maintenance. So you can easily like build a spreadsheet and say, okay, if I'm renting the house for $1,500 a month, I'm going to net you know $800 uh, a month after all those expenses. So that's $9,000 a year that I could spend on a mortgage. And then it's kind of an easy calculation. Yeah. And I think that short-term rentals, it's much easier for people. So like doing comps is simple. People can go onto Airbnb and say, all right, so what is something selling for in, in my neighbor and they, Oh, it's a $300 a night place. Okay, cool. Or they can go to air DNA and air DNA says, Oh, you can get an average of 15 and not, you know, 15 nights a month and yeah. here's your rate. But what, if somebody's preparing one of those analysis, what aren't they thinking about? What is the thing that you see that amateurs or newbies do the most when they come and say, Hey, I think this is going to work. And you say, hey, you aren't thinking about this, this, or this as a as an expense or as an occupancy, or you've just got bad assumptions. What's the most common like bad assumption people make? The most common assumption I see is cleaning. People, when when you look at Air DNA, when you look at we we call it the enemy method with what you're talking about, going to Airbnb, you're looking for your enemies. You're looking for the people around you who are doing what you're doing, how well are they doing it, and trying to figure out what kind of rates they're getting. The most common thing I see people forget when they look at their expenses is cleaning. Cleaning is your number one biggest expense. You've got a cleaner in there after every turnover. You're spending, depending on the size of the property, anywhere from 75 to 80 bucks per turn to up to 300, 400 bucks a turn on a, on a huge property. And that number is is in the gross revenue. When you look at AirDNA data and it says the average property in this market does $80,000 a year, those cleaning fees are in there because that is money that you are collecting from Airbnb or Verbo. They pay you that money, it's income. So it needs to be an income and an expense. So it's baked into your income. You better make sure you take it out of your expense as well. Otherwise, Again, market specific, they're going to vary a little bit, but it's no different than a long-term rental in that you still have those same expenses. 
uh, you're paying for utilities, you're paying for electric, you're paying for water, maybe gas, you know, depending on sewer, depending on, in my market, it's, it's, it's very rural. So we have a lot of wells and septics. So you don't have monthly water or sewer bills. You should factor in a couple hundred bucks a year for a maintenance that might come up. And at some point over the course of 15 to 20 years, you may have to do a major repair on your septic or on your, on your well, which really boils down to about the same as what you would have spent if you built in uh, you know, a monthly, monthly expense for water or sewer. So the numbers aren't any different. And, and here's the other aspect of it. Again, I said this early on, buying a short-term rental is buying a business. How do you analyze a business? You look at projected revenues, you look at historic revenues, but historic revenues are only as good as the person running the business. And that's, I guess, let me back all the way up and say the number one mistake I see people make when they're looking at short-term rentals is they want to base everything on the historic income of the previous owner. And management is 90% of how well a short-term rental is going to do. Now, you want to look at market-wide data, like AirDNA will tell you, this is what the average two-bedroom did in your market. What, how, it doesn't mean you're going to be able to do that, or it doesn't mean you're going to only do that. You might do way better. If you run it and manage it right, that's where the difference is going to come in. So number one mistake ultimately is ignore historic revenue. It doesn't matter. They're not going to be running the place anymore. I took my very first short-term rental. I bought it and it was with a local property management company, a big property management company with hundreds and hundreds of rentals. And the best year they ever had was $27,000 in revenue. I bought that thing and in my first months, I did $54,000. Same property. I did $3,000 worth of updates to it and then later did a few more. I doubled their best year just because I was managing it versus they was they were them managing it because I was using Airbnb and Verbo. That's literally it. Good customer service. Doubled it. So don't look at historic revenue. Look at the market. Look at the averages. Talk to your agent who hopefully knows the market. Get an idea of what kind of revenue it should make if you manage it well. And then pay attention and learn how to manage it well. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. The Now, if somebody did manage it before and they got reviews and you buy it, do their reviews stick to the property or do you, do you start fresh when you take over? No, nah, you start over. You start over. Neither Airbnb nor Verbo allow. Uh, here's the only caveat to that. If that person owns one property and has one Airbnb and Verbo property in their accounts and that seller is willing to literally give you their login to the account and then you just go in and change everything, that is potential. That is very rare though. In most cases, you are just buying the property. They're turning off their accounts. Certainly if it was with a property manager, you're not going to get anything and you're just starting from scratch. And in most cases, that's fine because you're the new host. Like they might not have the best reviews. And even if they have good reviews from Airbnb and Verbo's perspective, they're saying, well, that was this other host's reviews. Yes, it's the same house, but you're not them anymore. So you may not manage it as well, or you may manage it better. So they don't want you to be able to carry over and do that. So you're starting from scratch, but that's not a big deal. When you have a new listing, Airbnb likes new listings. They give you a little bit of a boost, you know, do your job right. Get in there and work hard. It's not easy. There's no easy button, right? So if you want to get into this business, you're going to put some time and work into it, but the fruits of the labor can come out when you, if you get into it, get good systems and it gets rolling. I mean, I've got 12 of them. Yeah. I have one person helping me, but I mean, I can, I was in, you know, we met in, we, first time we met in person was in Croatia. Yeah. I went to Croatia for 12 days. My short-term rental business kept on rolling, you know? 
Yeah. So it's been, it's been easy for you to keep managing. I think when people underwrite properties too, the, the seasonal ones with the bell curve income is probably something to just be really careful of as people are looking at it too. Because when you have a, a property that's going to make 95% of its income in a three month period, yeah, it makes it really tough to actually, to actually calculate, like, I don't know, people are normal. You make a bunch of money over the summer. It's going to be normal to spend it right? It's not, yeah. not everybody saves it and everybody puts it away or, or maybe people are going to yeah. think, oh, well, the rest of the months I'll break even when in reality, um, yeah. you could have some months where you make zero if you're in one of yeah. those seasonal markets. So you've got to take a, a big chunk of that. Um, you've got to take 70% of your summer earnings and save yeah. that for your payments and your expenses uh, throughout the Absolutely. year. And I think that's tough for, for newer investors too. So you've built, Absolutely. You, so you've built these cool businesses You've traveled in your like your your RV and your trailer and been able to do it. You have kind of very little, you know, uh, liabilities that tie you down. It gives you a lot of flexibility, and then and the business itself has given you a lot of good income. So now, uh, like Derek 2.0, what's that allowed you to do inside your life? Um, what are you doing for fun? What's your what's your journey like? And what's the stuff that's most important to you? Uh, GoBundance has been, uh, it's how we met. GoBundance has been life-changing for me to get around people that I could relate to, that I can hang out with. I, I have gone, I have traveled a lot with GoBundance. And um, at the end of last year, uh, GoBundance started a, uh, a council, a, the Giving Council, Genuine Contribution. It's one of the pillars of, of GoBundance is Genuine Contribution. And I got asked to be on that council um, contribution and, and giving is something that has become very important to me as through my journey from being a W2 guy who was very, very selfish. Um, I was not that person. The person I am today is not anywhere close to who I was six, seven years ago. And contribution became something very important to me that I, you know, I really, I really believed in the fact that when you're, when you're, when you have opportunities and you're given something, that you have a you have a, a responsibility to return that back to those that that aren't as as fortunate or haven't been as lucky or have had hardships or something along the way. I had plenty of people help me while I was learning, so contribution became very important to me. So they started the giving council um, about a month or so in. There was some shifts, some changes in leadership and go abundance. Some things were happening, and unbeknownst to me, I I was viewed as somebody that was a, a really that this was really important to you. They came to me and asked me to head up the council. And for the guy who I was six, seven years ago, being asked to be the head of a council that was, you know, centered on contribution amongst a bunch of people who were in very good financial positions was kind of like, you know, part of me was like, God, I don't imposter syndrome all over again. But it was like, but I was like, how could I say no? It's such an honor. So I am uh, leading the giving council with GoBundance. And our goal is to bring awareness to other guys and go abundance and to anybody that wants to pay attention of how, how giving and contribution should be an important part of your life and how many different ways there are to give. It doesn't have to just be write a check, you know, contributing time, contributing your talents, mentoring people. Um, a, a big tip at a restaurant is, con is contribution. You know, you give a waitress a hundred dollar tip on a $50 dinner that is major. And you have made serious impact on one, one person that night. Um, getting on a phone call to to help somebody that's struggling a little bit with something that you know and do well is contribution. Um, so that's been a big focus of mine right now is trying to find ways to to give and contribute back to other people around me, to society in general. It's 
how can I help them? And whether that's through my experience. I mean, I said, I want to keep selling for a couple more years. Theoretically, I do not have to sell anymore. I could stop right now. My properties pay for a, for the lifestyle that I have lived. Now, do I want to live a bigger, more epic lifestyle? Yes, I do. And that's why I'm going to keep selling for a few more years because I want to build it up. But I also really enjoy doing it. I like helping people buy their first, second, third, fourth short-term rental because I'll give you a good story. Uh, Bigger Pockets Conference last year, we were there and um, Luke Carl, who's uh, Avery's husband that is on runs short-term shop, Him, he's a runner. Him and I are both runners and we did a, a morning run and a bunch of people came and ran with us. And beginning of the run, one of the girls was like, are you Derek? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, oh, I'm, I'm Ashley. You sold, you know, my husband and I, I think I sold them like five cabins um, over oh, the wow. course of a couple of years. And it was the first time I'd ever met her in, in person. So we went on this run. We come back from the run. We're, we're standing there talking after. And she said, Derek, you changed our lives. You gave us the ability. You gave me the ability to leave my job and stay home with my babies. And John's still working, but he's on a path to be out of it. And that is because of what you helped us do. That was more impactful than any check than anything I've ever done to have a client say that to me, that I sold them a house and made a bunch of money and I changed their life. So that's why I keep doing it because I love doing it. And I've just gotten such a rush and such a, such a fulfillment from seeing other people succeed that, that that's why I've started. That's what keeps me going. Yeah. Yeah. When, when we were sharing our one sheets in um, Croatia and you were talking about, um, giving and what you have set aside for that. I thought that was great because one of the things that happened when I went broke in like the 2012, 2013 is one of, one of my big regrets was thinking, man, I wasted, I had made so much money and then essentially lost it all. I I'd spent it on all these things I shouldn't have. And I was like, man, if I get another chance, I'm going to, I'm going to give way more to charity. I'm going to share way more of it because the stuff, the regrets we didn't have is like the donations we gave to people or the trips that we went on, but we regretted all this other yeah. stuff. And so we came back and made that a huge part of our life, a huge part of like, you know, giving. And one of our tips for giving was we just, we had set up a different bank account for it and you yeah. can set the bank account up to automatically, you know, when it's giving to a church, it's easy to say, all right, set up my automatic tithe. And every month they're yeah. going to automatically take, really I had it set for every, every week, they would take out a certain amount of money out of, out of my account because people realize like they don't bounce their cell phone check. They don't bounce their cable check. They don't bounce their electric bill pay their property taxes. They, you know, there's a lot of bills yeah. that we have that we pay because they're on auto pay. Right. And so yeah. part of giving was like, we'll put giving on auto pay. And I, and we did that with the church. Then we do that with another account where we just, every month money goes over to this other account. And then whenever anybody asks for help, we get to say, what do we have over in the giving account? And that helps us figure out, cause we always say yes. If somebody asks for help, we yeah. always say yes. The proportion we say yes to depends on how much we have in the account right. and how important we'll always give something if somebody asks, you know, as that go, as, as you go through that. So in Croatia, one of the things that you did uh, too was it was the end of the year and you challenged a bunch of the guys. You said, Hey, um, you guys tell me what your cause is and I'm going to make a big donation to each one of your causes. So you let all 20 guys or 27 guys, however many it was like send, send you a cause and every cause they gave you, um, you, you, you would, you know, send money to them, send them a screenshot, say, Hey, uh, I did it. We ended up also raising, I want to say like over $70,000 on that trip for, yeah. uh, you know, people that were suffering from CRPS that Maddie has for, a, uh, there's a nonprofit with that. 
And then soon after that, I did another shout out for one of the people in particular, there are two families in particular that were struggling and they were going through the treatment with Maddie and we raised another 50 or $60,000 that way really quick. It was really uh, fantastic to see the impact of people's faces. But I love the challenge that you just gave people too, right? I think the challenge you're trying to give everybody is give a little bit, start to give back a little bit. And whether, and that can be, that can be church tithing, that can be donating time, that can be finding places to volunteer. Um, but you also said, or something as simple as like a hundred dollar tip to a waitress. Kalina was a waitress for several years during our times of struggle. And she remembers every hundred dollar tip she got. Sure. Right. Like the, cause it would be like uh, her normal tip was like eight bucks. And so yeah. you know, I was at a casino is like at a cafe at a casino and every once in a while she would get a giant one. And she remembers them to this day. The people yeah. that made the impact because back then that was the difference of like, oh, I can pay our electric bill today uh, with the tip I got last night. Really, really yeah. big stuff. So I love I love that example, too. So you also came out to our uh, Rockstars Mastermind uh, in Austin. You're signed up for next year. You just ran one of the Zoom yeah. calls uh, last week as we're doing our, our monthly Zoom calls or our, our every our couple times a month Zoom calls on a strategy. And you went over like how to do the one sheet. Uh, the Go Abundance One Sheet, which we brought into part of our Real Estate Rockstar stuff. What did you think of that meetup, that mastermind, that event compared to other ones that you've that you've been to? And was there anything that you got out of that event that you started to apply right away, or something that just got you really excited when you left there? Well, I I loved it. One, I have to I have to preempt this, and people who only see me in a few certain lights argue with me, but I'm an introvert. So if I'm left alone to my to my laurels. I'm, I'm sitting at home. I'm quiet. I'm fine. So I have to push myself to go out to those types of events because I know I'm going to get so much out of it. And I know I can give a lot out of it. So um, I, ha- I had a fantastic time at the event. Most of the events I go to are go abundance events or real estate investor related. So this was a totally different environment for me because I was around a bunch of other agents. And it was interesting because most of them are team leaders, building teams, building stuff. So I got to see a different perspective because I'm just somebody on a team and I don't have any desire to build a team. So I think what was great was I was able to give perspective to some of those guys of what it looks like from the team member side. So I was able to contribute to them so they could kind of see what the non-entrepreneur agent on their team, what their brain might be going through and thinking, help them be better leaders, um, make some incredible friendships, some definitely lifelong friends uh, just in that, in, in the few days we were together. You know, stuff I got out of it, we talked a lot about social media and even though I'm not trying to build my own real estate brand because I'm on somebody else's team, a lot of the tips and ideas that we talked about at social media and branding and building a brand, those are some of the things that I started to work on and put in. Um, some great ideas that I should be doing that I'm probably not. It got it helped me get refocused as an agent to know that even though I'm on a team, I still need to work. I still need to contact my clients. I still need to stay on. I still need to stay top of mind. Um, so it got me in a better habit of reaching out to my clients and communicating with my clients more, uh, highly encourage anybody. Every, if you're a real estate agent out there, sign up and go you, anytime you can get surrounded by people who are willing to put the effort in and show up to an event like that. There are obviously people who want to grow. And if you want to grow, if you get around those other people, you're going to get way more out of it than you could have possibly imagined. Every Every mastermind I've ever gone to, uh, I've gotten I've, I've gotten incredible ideas and stuff out of, but I go into it knowing that I'm going to do that. You get out of it what you put into it. But if you go into it 
and you're surrounded by other people who are all there with that same mentality and you've got someone like you leading it who actually cares, uh, actually gives a crap. I think that's the important thing. You know, when when the person leading cares and really genuinely wants to see you succeed, you're going to draw people who want to succeed. And if you can then get in that environment and you maybe you're struggling, you don't have people around you that are going to help lift you up. You will come to this. You will find people to lift you up. I'm staying in contact with several of the people I met there and we're helping each other. We're helping grow each other's business. We're helping each other be accountable. And you've got somebody now in your back pocket that's across the country that you can reach out to and say, hey, I mean, I just ran into this. What do you guys do when you see this? Um, so anytime you can build your network it is important. Hey, real estate rock stars. We only have a few minutes left in this episode, but before we get to the grand finale, I just wanted to say, as always, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. You know, podcasts are obviously free. You don't have to pay to listen to the podcast, but if you could pay one thing, if I could charge you one thing to listen to this podcast, what I would ask you to do is go, please make a review. Go to wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's on YouTube or on Apple or Android, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go give me a review of the podcast. I read them. I listen to them. I try to make adjustments. You know, a couple of years ago, I had a ton of bad reviews on the sound quality or the number of advertisements, things like that. And I've really tried to dial in to add value for all of you guys. So please, please, please go do a review. If you want to get a, a copy of the toolbox of the stuff that you know, everybody that comes on the show, they give us some tactics. They give us something that we put in what we call our toolbox. And so to get that, you go to realestaterockstarsnetwork.com. When you get there, click on the, the toolbox and you get access to the free gift that every person that we interview on the episode provides. There's things like, you know, uh, listing tactics, how to do a presentation, you know, how to do a newsletter, all sorts of cool, fun stuff. And if you want to talk to me, go find me on Instagram at Aaron Amuchastegui. Ask me a question. I talk to so many of you guys on there. All right, back to the show. Thanks again for being a listener. Yeah. I especially like the very the variations in people too as the mixtures because at each table you got somebody whose average price point is a million dollars and another person whose average price right. point is a hundred thousand. You got team leaders and office owners next to team members, and you get these oh, as any of the challenges we're trying to to suffer you know to 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 solve, you get all the different perspectives with it. Well, the this has been an awesome podcast today. You know, the getting to have our listeners get to hear more about you. And I, and I love that challenge you gave them at the end. Anything else that you want to, to finish with? Any stories you want to share or something that people need to know about you or real estate or anything? Uh, the most important thing I'll, I'll say is uh, I started my journey, really my journey, my self-development journey at 43. Um, didn't get into real estate until I was 45. And it's easy for people to sit there and say, you know, oh, I can't do this. I'm, I'm too old. It's too late. I change it. So you can. It, it absolutely you can. I mean, if you had asked me 10 years ago that I was going to be a real estate agent uh, making the money that I'm making, I'd have never in my life believed it. Um, you know, there's a famous quote, you know, we, we, we get a lot of anxiety. We get a lot of stress. And there's a quote, Mark Twain quote that says, I've suffered many tragedies in my life. A few of them actually happened. Yeah, we suffer. We suffer so much in our heads, and we, we we keep limiting beliefs on ourselves. And the minute you let go of all that, the minute you recognize that the only thing holding you back is you, it the sky is unlimited. You just grow. So you know, uh, Colonel Sanders was sixty six when he founded Kentucky Fried Chicken. You know, so it's never too late. 
it's never too late to get healthy. It's never too late to, to change your mindset on contribution. It's never too late to become an entrepreneur, to grow, to change your path. If you're not happy, do something about it. Yeah. Colonel Sanders at 66. It's never too late. It's never too early. We get the people that say I'm too, too young to Absolutely. become a real estate agent. We get the people that yeah. say I'm too old to be a real estate agent. Oh, I went to college for this. I went to yeah. college to be an engineer and now I'm an engineer. I can't stop being an engineer to go do real estate and all those limiting beliefs. The, um, you know, the, I got into self-help type stuff later in life too, right? 2015, yeah. 2016, just eight years ago. And I lived a lot of life before that, but it totally changed. It totally yeah. changed when I started going like, oh, let's, let's see what other changes that we can make. Let's see what else is out there. Um, yeah, becoming an entrepreneur at 43, man, and the and then the life that it's been able to give you. I mean, I can see it on your face, how happy and calm and like, and I could see it in Croatia when we were out there, how how perfect of a fit your life is for your lifestyle and the things that make you happy. Derek, if people want to know more about you, if they want to learn about you, if they want to reach out to you, um, what's the best way that they could, that, what's the best way they could? Um, most active social media wise on Facebook, uh, Derek Tellier, pretty easy to find there. Um, other than that, you can email me, um, Derek at Derek .com. And of course, if it's real estate, if you're looking to buy a short-term rental, the short-term shop, uh, tons of resources out there. If you're interested in the Smokies, Derek at the short-term shop.com, I can absolutely help you on that aspect of it. But if you just want to talk mindset, you just want to talk about generalizations, then just reach out. Uh, I'm easy to find. You can Google me. I mean, there's only one other Derek Tellier that I'm aware of out there. And I think he's like a professor in Minnesota and he's bald. So you cannot mix us up. Right. Um, you can't mix up somebody that has a, just a long, full head of hair with somebody yeah. um, <laughs> that's bald. Derek is a giver. So if you're somebody that, that wants to take him up on any of those, don't be afraid. Reach out to reach out to Derek. If you want to learn more about you, like what your giving journey could be as you start to yeah. give back and find some success, Derek would love to hear those stories from you. If you want to hang out with me and Derek next year at the mastermind, I think there's a few spots left. Um, you would go to real estate rockstars network.com forward slash mastermind and lock in uh, your spot. When I say a few spots left, I'm not exaggerating though. There's like, there's like a few spots left uh, in our pre-sales right after our event. We sold out um, most of what we had uh, for next year. So come get to join us and hang out with some stuff like that. Derek, thanks for coming on the show and thanks for sharing the story. Thanks for all that you do. Thanks for donating to Maddie's cause when it came up. Thanks for encouraging so many people. I just really appreciate all you're doing. Thank you, Aaron. It's great to be here. Real estate rock stars. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.